0: Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know, to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader.
1: Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, the podcast designed to simplify the complex job of managing and leading people. Our goal today, as every time, is to share with you at least one proven business practice that will help you build a more sustainable, profitable, and purpose-driven company. Well, our guest today, he's sharp, he's curious, he loves to learn. He's hungry, he's definitely hungry, loyal, and I have to I have to put down his high maintenance. He is. We'll talk more about that in just a minute, but uh he's worth the high maintenance, I can promise you that. So there are some people who are not worth the amount of maintenance, but he's a high performer who can be high maintenance, but that makes it all the more fun to be around him. He's Eric Custer. He's the VP of Sales and Marketing for the Pinehurst Resort in Pinehurst, North Carolina, and besides that, he's a friend. He's uh, somebody I count as really uh important to Fran and I and he and his wife, Katie, and the family are are just folks we really love being around. So, Ed Epley Experience listeners, you get to meet one of my my dear friends, Eric Kuster. Eric, say hello to our audience.
2: Thank you for that introduction, Ed. Glad that my wife's not listening because she probably would agree with you on the high maintenance <laughs> description, but it's an honor to be here and to be with, be with you and uh, looking forward to an engaging conversation.
1: How does somebody get to be the VP of sales and marketing for such an iconic brand like the Pinehurst Resort. Whew.
2: Contrary to what you know about me, a lot of patience—patience patience is not really in my natural DNA. But
1: it is—it is, it is uh, not one of your virtues. That is correct. Cool. <laughs>
2: um, you know, I—I I, I got lucky. I—I I stumbled upon Pinehurst when I was uh, a young, twenty-two-year-old, uh, freshly graduated from, from NC State University, and I—I I just had a lot of blind ambition and a lot of stubbornness. And I just, I had landed in a, in a place that was at the time passionate about, but I didn't know to this day how much how much passion would grow from that. And so you could say my courtship with Pinehurst was somewhat subliminal. I came down here in, in 1999 for the first time and during the U.S. Open, I remember vividly driving down Carolina Vista Drive, which you've done many times, Ed, and I, it was lit up. The cupola of the hotel was lit up and it was really, an, it was enamoring and you know, that first U.S. Open and what happened on the 18th green with Payne Stewart and, and Phil Mickelson, that left in, you know, an impression on me. And I um, went back to school and finished up and I knew that I wanted to be in, I wanted to be in golf. I know you, you have a question later in the this, in this segment, which I think is an interesting one, but also connecting that passion of, of hospitality with golf. And so working lots of nights and weekends and holidays at the front desk and just staying the course. You know, being patient, uh, being stubborn and, and knowing that I had to pay dues uh, to, you know, anything worth, you know, worth getting to takes a lot of a lot of grind. And so here I am, 16, 17 years into it. I'm still here.
1: <laughs> I can't get rid of you. <laughs> I can't. You're like you're like a tick. But a lovable one. You know, you are an excellent golfer. I've given you more money than I've gotten from you. So I know that you're, a, you're an excellent golfer. Did you play a lot of other sports or were you always golf, uh, a golfaholic? What was your passion growing up?
2: I was actually more of a generalist when it comes to sports. I, I leaned into the, the team sports more than, than golf. Golf was kind of background music for me. Uh, you, you know, my parents said I, I was I was blessed to to be raised by an you know, upper middle class, very traditional family in Charlotte. and my my dad was a member at a country club, and so uh, I had the good fortune to learn the game at a young age under the the teachings of Tom Rogers, the PGA professional at the time. and And I always loved golf. I loved you know just being outside, and I, you know I, I was fairly good at it, but it didn't draw my attention. So much so that I wanted to pursue it in terms of playing, you know, from a high school or, or it really just for individual competition. It just, for some reason, just didn't connect with me. But I'm so glad that even to this day, I, I still thank my dad for introducing me to the game because now, you know, working for Pinehurst, the most, you know, the largest and most historic golf resort in the country and, and being in the position I am, you have to have a golf IQ. Playing the sport, yes, but understanding the, you know, the, the symbolism of the sport and what it stands for—I think—starts uh, at a young age.
1: Um, your boys are they taking to the game like you did? or you know—is it a distraction for them because they're playing so much other stuff, or what's the impact it has on your family?
2: Yeah, I appreciate that question, and I would—I would tell you that growing up in Pinehurst, I, I have to be a little careful that I don't put my will upon them to play the sport. I mean, they they definitely recognize that the sport is something that I would appreciate them to play. And they do play the sport. Is it their first, second, or third choice of, of, of sport preference? No, it's not. It's probably fourth. But very recently, my oldest son, Wells, who's eight, who's now 11, asked me if if he could take some lessons. And so, I, I of course, I lit up. And <laughs> what do you think I did? I, I called one of the teaching professionals here at Pine Ridge Resort. And <laughs> I took him out there last Saturday and he had an hour-long lesson. So I just want them – I want them – I want to facilitate, you know, an upbringing an out- in them so they can play the sport and just enjoy that, like, like you enjoy it. You know, to go out yeah. with your – it's such a sport for fellowship and business relationships and, and oh, health yeah. and wellness. So I want them to have all those tools that, that I was uh, afforded at a young age. And so I think there is a little bit of an itch for them to get back into the sport. But right now, it's still team sport dominant in the Houston household.
1: Yeah, and it's constant. That If, if uh, for those of you listening, Eric's got three boys and they are boys and they are a handful. But boy, I'll tell you, they they're great kids. Do you see yourself more in the hospitality business or more in the golf business?
2: I love that question when you when you send it over to me. It's, it's the easy answer is both because I think working in hospitality, we're, we're in the business of people to people, and you, you got to love people to work in hospitality. One thing I always like to um, profess as one of an interview question is Do you like to entertain people personally? If you do, then you are going to be great in hospitality. Now, you know, you can't identify yourself working at Pinehurst Resort and not being the golf business. I mean, nine and a half golf courses, multiple U.S. Opens. So for me, I, I I tend to say both, but then again, right now, golf is going through this boom. So I'd like to tell you I'm in the golf business right now because it's, it, it seems to have this incredible uh, COVID boom that we're going through. So yeah, I think it's both, Ed.
1: I, I, I find that you're really in an unusual business relative to people in, in the hospitality, pure hospitality or pure golf. Like it, it, it's it's really uh, unusual. And, you know, you mentioned ju- just, for example, you do have Saturdays, Sundays that you've got to be around. There are nights. Uh, it, your your job is a lifestyle job, isn't it? I mean, it's not it's not a nine to five, eight to five job. It's it's there's a lot of uh, impact on your personal life.
2: Oh, it is big time. It is lifestyle. And you know, when you when you're passionate about it and when you love it like I do and like the people that I, that I work with do, then I think it's it's an honor to 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 be kind of institutionalized, if you will, with the Piners brand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Evan, that that's a key word. The lifestyle does connect the two golf and hospitality. And um, it's just you gotta you really have to understand serving people, serving guests, serving members. That is what we do when the service business first and foremost and so golf just happens to be our number one amenity at Pinder. so it's a, a true blessing to come to work every day and the role that i'm in knowing that i'm leading and managing people uh at this incredible place that has stood the test of time and now you know celebrating 125 years uh, of being a leader in the space
1: yeah it's pretty cool being with, a, with an organization as iconic as Pinehurst, but then recognizing how long it's been there and the stewardship that you and the organization feel for what you do is is, is one of the unique and wonderful characteristics about whenever you're around that. Uh, it's, a, it's very attractive to me. You know, you were successful first in sales, correct? I mean, th- th- there was a sales yeah. component to your initial work that you did there. And then in my mind, Eric, this could be wrong, so I help educate me and our listeners if it is uh, incorrect, but in my mind, the idea of becoming a manager was not uh, was not attractive to you initially because of the opportunity to lead and work with and develop people as much as it was a way to keep score if, if you were progressing or not. Is that is that yeah. fair to say, that that's what attracted you to the roles?
2: Absolutely, I mean, after once I paid my dues and worked in front, front office operations, I knew I had to cut my teeth in sales. That that was where my natural gravitation was for my skill set. That's when I left the resort, uh, as you know. Ed, it's where you and I met was at Pine Needles. Um, right. you know, the, uh, Kelly Miller and the Bell family hired me uh, really just to be a cold caller. And so I, I look back on that that 12 month uh, exercise. It's uh, kind of a an eye opening journey for me to understand what well, what what how do you sell a hospitality golf experience. And so um, af- after 12 months there, I came back to Pinehurst and that's really where I landed in the group sales space and did that for, gosh, eight, nine years. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. Sales was the platform in which I found my, my early success at Pinehurst.
1: But were you attracted to the idea of being a manager of other salespeople because you you wanted to I mean, you were in love with the idea that you were going to have to develop these people and grow them? Or was it more about, OK, the position represented you progressing and moving to the next level in, in your career I'm, I'm curious about what made you want to be the uh, a manager of of other salespeople.
2: yeah I, I think it i think it was a kind of a slow transformation of becoming less selfish um if i'm being honest with the listeners it's going from self selfish to selfless and you know and, and i saw you know, I had my way of, of building a book of business and being more relational, not transactional. And I really, I, I did want to become more of a, I hate to say coach, because that, uh, I like to see myself as equals with the people I work with. But, I mean, that's really where I, I started to say, you know what, there's, the, the way I'm doing it seems to be working. And mm-hmm. so, I, I would like to get into managing people. And that's, that's as you know, that's a big you know, bridge to cross. It um, is. It's a, it, it's a big one. And, and so I wasn't great at it at first Ed, because I had to struggle with, you know, what does accountability mean? And what is, is, do I want to be, you know, you know, all these age old questions of love, do I want to be loved or do I want to be respected. It's the love versus discipline access. Oh, so yeah. I, you know, um, it, it never stops in terms of knowing how to manage people. It's a, it's a, it's a complicated task, but um, it goes back to enjoying people and being relatable to them. And so I really have come to enjoy my role as, as we have overseeing all sales, not just group sales, which is more kind of B2B, but also the the reservation sales. And so um, it's, it's really, it's a fun journey to be on and to always learn what makes people tick. Everybody's different. You know, it's almost like, I almost should have studied psychology in college because I really think that's managing people is really the. The key to success in a large organization.
1: Well, you've uh, you've certainly grown into the role in a, a a really natural way. I'm, I know part of that uh, you make it look probably like you did that more easily than it may have been. I I think you've worked really hard to earn the right to be a great manager and leader of others. But I will tell you that from my position and not seeing you every day but but talking to you pretty frequently, it still feels to me like your your transition to becoming a, not only a, a good but probably above average leader of, of others is, is has really been uh not not without issues, but I, I would call it you made it look really easy. And I, I don't know if it felt that way or not. Do you, did it feel easy to you to become a, a really good manager? Or does, do you feel like that's an oversimplification?
2: No, uh, it's, it's a very intuitive question uh, and observation. And I, I, I think it was easy. In fact, I just told my wife, Katie, last weekend, we, we went away for a couple of days. And I said, all I do is manage people now. And she goes, yeah, but you're good at it. You know, and I said, well, thank you. That's nice. But it it, it is you do have to care for everybody and showing care means you got to show a lot of empathy. You got to listen. And I'm a high energy guy, as you know, Ed. I mean, I only have so much attention span to go, <laughs> but, 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 um, you know, uh, if you care about me, then you're going to, they're going to work harder for you in theory yeah and that's so right.
1: that's right you know
2: so it's it's this constant wheel this flywheel of showing empathy listening caring empowering recognizing if you do all those things and you show a positive attitude on top of that because we all choose our attitude Ed. I mean we I mean being in being in hospitality with with this global pandemic you think it's been fun? <laughs> no, it's been it's been extremely challenging and stressful, and, and and the headwinds in our business. But but you bring a positive attitude to work because we work at a, at a great place that uh, that we think we care about. Our, we we want to believe we care about our people first and foremost, and take care of them. We'll take care of our customers. So. Yeah. Ed, I think it has been, I mean, gosh, I want to be humble saying this, but I do, I do think it has been a, an easier transition for me than I probably would have expected. It was a little daunting at first though.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, how many people are in the sales and marketing organization at Pinehurst?
2: So those, so let's break it down into buckets. You've got the group sales team, yep. which comprises uh, six sales managers. Then you've got the reservation team, which is really, really our call center. When you call 1-800-IS-PINEHURST, you're coming into the call center to book your reservation as well as the Ed Epley golf trip would go into that reservation center, that channel Uh, that comprises about 35 people um, with, uh, with probably three or four managers at the top of that uh, hierarchy. And then the marketing team has five folks. Then you have event services and catering, which also reports into me. And that, that um, boy, that's that's the division that has really taken some haircuts because of the, the COVID effect. So they're currently at probably six to seven, so okay. what is that? That's probably fifty people yep. that, that that roll up into me. But really, net net, it's it's four direct reports of those divisional divisional lines.
1: So, uh, what have you found to be the biggest difference between managing individuals versus managing managers? Or is it not different managing, to you? And, yeah, when, when you've managed, uh, you have know, managed individual contributors as opposed to people who are.
2: Oh sure, it's oh no yeah yeah no no, no there there's a clear difference there. Um, so, I'll make sure I, I, I answer it with some sophistication. Um, I think with managers, you know, I, 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 when we moved to this new office, I had a chance to re, kind of rebrand it. And, I, and we now refer to it as the HPSC High Performance Sales Center. And, and our president, who you know, Tom Pashley, likes to refer to me as the spiritual leader of the HPSC. So that was that was my way of saying to all employees that come through this building, that's a standard of excellence. And as you know, Ed, you know, a, a standard is just defining what great looks like. Right. And so I didn't have to I didn't have to do that every single day. It was just you know we, and we have reminders. We've got sales motivational posters and stuff. Now managers, that is all about accountability and making sure they know what is expected of them. Every single day, and so I'm all about. And I learned this from you, Adam. I mean, you, you you've been a mentor of mine for a number of years, and that is all about clarity. And when you meet with your managers, as I do on a weekly basis, you have to ask yourself a couple of questions. One is, after you meet with them, re, regurgitate: This is what I heard. This is what I think. This is what we're going to do, and so. And a, lot, and a lot of these teachings have, have come from you and, and, and other you know, business leaders, thought leaders. But for me, that is a simple, simple recipe of how to create clarity every time I meet with my managers. Okay. Is this my task? Is it your task? Is it a shared task? Who owns this? It's amazing, Ed. If you just simplify those things when you're managing your managers, the people that are going to be going back to their places, you know, to manage right. their team and to, get, to create action and motivation... That's all I need to know. Is from that conversation, who owns this? Do we share it? Is it your task? Is it my task? And so, most of the time, Ed, for me, it's is this. A, you know, it goes back to that love versus discipline axis. And is it is it people oriented or is it is it task oriented? You know, and I think the best leaders, in my opinion, are high on the quotient with love. they they're high love, high discipline. And they do well with with people orientation and task orientation. I mean, you, you know, you can't just dictate all the time. You can't say, you know, "Do this, do that, do as I say, not as I do." You got to you got to be able to, to dive deep sometimes and be an expert.
1: You're um, still a relatively young guy. You're around forty, right, give or take
2: little slightly north of there now
1: okay, you're getting above there but but still a relatively young guy by all standards so so the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up is have you thought about creating your replacement? I know you have no plans to go anywhere else you love it there you want to stay there but are, are you at the point where you've even thought about the next person that's going to be in the role you're in? Yeah, I haven't
2: because I'm always thinking about what what next role could I potentially? Right. eventually get into. So right. no, I, I have not thought about the, there is a, what I call the talent bench of, right. of individuals right. that are out there in the space, but no, I'm not, I've not identified a single individual.
1: Well, the, the reason I bring that up is, is that uh, one of the traps that I see some managers fall into is being afraid to hire somebody who has the potential to be better than they are. And, um, I don't sense that in you. I I, I don't have any reason to believe that that's something that, that is a problem for you. But having, having broached the topic with you, I, I wonder when you, when you hire talent and now your managers have to be responsible for hiring most of the talent that's underneath you, I would think in a, in a large sense. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how high the bar is for what you, you're looking for and how many people that have the potential to be Uh, as good as you are. I mean, how does that, does that even register about what what their capacity is when you're looking at the the talent that's in that that organization, that big organization you lead?
2: Yeah, it's a a question that is worth asking because it's obviously a little bit of a blind spot of mine, but I I would like to think that that person is in this organization somewhere and it's, you know, Tom and I both started here at a young age and we just, we showed up with passion and with grit and with dedication on day one. And people, people do ask me and again, say this with all humility uh, in my bones, how did you get to where you are? Because our organization, I mean, it's Pinehurst. people think, oh, wow, it's a huge organization. But well, really when you break it down, it's, you know, we were about 2000 employees pre-COVID, probably down to 1200 now. But you know, I, we just we just rattled off the number of employees that sit in the sales and marketing right. silo. It's not it's not huge. I mean, it's it's a little it's a little flat. And so, how you know to get to where I am, I would love to identify someone who has the tenacity, the sales chops, uh, the marketing curiosity who I can you know Tom and I can bring in or identify within our company and move them through uh, you know that. You know that upper mobility chain that they're right. was able to come through, but um, boy, it's all—it's all—it's all about. It's all, you're right. It is all about talent, uh, talent either identifica- yeah, identification, cultivation, succession planning, because that's how great leaders are are scored. Right, their legacy.
1: Right. One of the things that I'll share with the audience, one thing I do know to be true because of the work I've done at Steamboat Springs Ski and Resort Company and and also being around the Pinehurst Resort to the extent that I have, when you're with those kinds of iconic brands, you have people that want to be part of that and it's very attractive to the point that they don't leave very often for other outside opportunities there's something about being associated with that that's a highly attractive and it's it's great to be part of that and there, that can't be easily replaced going to non iconic brand locations it's not like eric hasn't had other opportunities to go somewhere else but it's it when when faced with that choice living where he does and getting to be part of the organization he's a part of is highly attractive to him and so the reason I'm sharing that with the audience is is in these iconic locations like Pebble Beach, like Pinehurst, like steamboat there's not a lot of upward mobility opportunities they they do not happen as frequently as they would at other locations so sometimes when you bring highly uh, high potential talent on board you have to be okay with them leaving because their opportunities to advance as quickly as they could somewhere else just don't don't happen. Am I am I right in saying that, Eric?
2: You're hundred percent, hundred accurate. In everything you just said,
1: yeah. So when when I push on Eric about the talent he has, he could bring in you know ten great people, but the opportunity for them to advance may not happen sufficient if they're if they're high potential people, they're going to advance. So if they can't do it, at, yeah, and, at, and it, they're going to go somewhere.
2: Correct. And just to interject on that on that last point that that has happened. I have gone out and brought in yeah. high performers. And only to find out, two three years into their tenure, they 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 opt out and choose not to go somewhere else.
1: Yeah, and and that's you got to be okay. You need essentially one of the theories I have is companies have to decide whether they're okay being a net exporter of talent. And that means that when you do make the investment to bring you somebody in who has high potential, if you know that their opportunity to advance isn't as quick as it could be somewhere else, you got to be okay with them leaving, knowing that you invested in them and you had their talents for a a period of time. But the the question you have to ask yourself is would I rather have somebody that's mediocre that stays with me long term or have the possibility to have talent that's really high level, but know it's only going to be temporary? And you guys have erred more on that side than the other, I think. You know, your your business a uh, year ago at this time, you were expecting to have a great year in 2020. And then March 13th, 14th, we had this uh, pandemic go full blown. And um, I don't know if that was the day that it hit you guys, but um, yeah. it was it was around that time period. So how is the year shaping up relative to what you originally planned it to be?
2: Yeah. Well, well again, your pulse is accurate on where we're trending. We had an epic year last year across all of our key KPIs. Crossing into this year, early March, we get a phone call that snowballed into just create havoc on our books, particularly on the, on the group side, the group conference, travel space. But somehow golf has emerged as the big winner in all this. Um, and so being the largest golf center in the country. We uh, we we luckily stood to benefit from that upside from that trend, and so from if you cut the year in half, it if you started from June through November, yep, uh, we actually we performed very well, and it was all because the leisure traveler was leading the way, and because the sport of golf didn't have to change, it had the the, the inherent benefits of the anti-COVID. It was yeah. outside, you could right. e- easily social distance. And so we've, uh, we're have we very fortunate. Our weekends were, we were running at 90% occupancy across all of our hotel properties. And um, the members were highly engaged uh, with their you know, rounds played. And so we, we did close for 60 days. Uh, that was painful. That was essentially closing for here at Pinehurst, as you all know, our seasonality. You close in April, May. Your, your year is toast. You're not going to make up those 60 days of right. the peak holiday shopping center right. a, akin to the retail world. Right. But man, we, we I tell you what, the resilience in the leisure market uh, and people getting quarantine fatigue. I, I mean, people getting in their cars and saying... I'm going to travel this. to play golf. <laughs> yeah, screw, screw this. And, and, right. and so they, they were they were more risk, they were more risk tolerant. Yep. And so we we look back on this year and we and you know, we did some modeling back in gosh April. It looked very dark, it looked very depressing. Just to stand here now and look back and say, we delivered financial performance that our owner has given us two thumbs up on. It feels feels very, very accomplishing. Well, so yeah.
1: Um I think it's it it would be important to point out to our listeners that the organization has made some key investments and in upgrades and facilities, courses, amenities over the last ten years. Those have had to pay some pretty important dividends, too, in terms of making because people have places, different places they could go. They didn't have to come to Pinehurst. But because of the brand and PR that you've done around these improvements, I would think you 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 did better than maybe some of your peer resorts, all things being equal.
2: Well, we did. Um, we we have comp set metrics. We don't know who in the comp set we're, it reports out, but some of the data that we're getting in our costs and on the reservation side does clearly show that we did outperform some of our comp set. And these yeah. are national iconic golf destinations. But to um, to your other point, it, it's we made a we made an intentional decision about 7 8 years ago that we we needed to we needed to elevate the pinehurst experience we needed to energize it we needed to evolve frankly to the younger traveler the right. baby boomers have carried the game of golf they've they've been so good to pinehurst resort but now we need to get more generational and so we like to say we we had enough black and white photos. We need to now introduce the color photos. <laughs> We're not, you know, Pinehurst is not stuck in a time capsule. And so, how do you go? How do you go about doing that? From a how do you go about <clears throat> from a capital planning standpoint yep. to say how do we inject more energy and revolutionize this property? Enter the restoration number two prior to the back to back U.S. Opens in two thousand fourteen. Enter Gil Hans redo of number four, which co-hosted the U.S. Amateur last year. The Cradle, the the nine-hole short course, which has just been electric and been a a selfie factory and uh, the most fun on a short course, which is only ten acres. You've got the brewery down in the the village of Pinehurst, which has been a a huge success. Uh, The redo of the Manor, which is now you know the the proper golf lodge for the the golfer coming to Pinehurst. So. All these things have co-mingled into, into an enhanced experiential product that, to your point, Ed, has paid off. And that's all because of the Deadman the family. Yeah. They've been the stewards who have invest- taken the time to invest in this product to make sure that we stay as relevant today as we were back, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago.
1: The, um, there's a saying, fortune favors the bold. And uh, the investments that the Dedman family uh, allowed you guys to make, I would really be intrigued if you hadn't done some of those three, five, seven years ago. How your year would have turned out? I'm sure you would have enjoyed some some benefits from being in the golf business, but I think I think you got more than your fair share of business because of it.
2: We did, Ed, and the social media dynamic is unbelievable. I mean that that's such a key variable now because people. Yeah, they share their experiences now. Yeah, and yeah. You've, got, you've got to embrace social media, which we have in a very big way. So, yeah, we, we feel like, and we're not done. I mean, th- there was an article uh, recently in, in Golf Week by a talented writer. And he, he visited uh, this summer and I played the cradle with him. He wrote this beautiful piece on his experience. And he said, so much has changed, but nothing has been lost. That is the key. Oh, because, what a great line. Because, <laughs> because this experience has changed. But there's, there, there's a timeless you know, kind of this, this place that you connect with generationally that continues to get better, continues to evolve, but we don't, we don't compromise who we are from a brand standard and from just the, the ethos of what make Pioneer what it is.
1: There's a, a a Yampa Valley curse when you go out to Steamboat, and there's the Moore County curse when you go to southeastern North Carolina. When you drive down Route One and you get into the Sandhills and uh, you smell the pine needles, and you you get there, and if you're a passionate golfer, as am I, you 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 can't help but go, I'm home. And the, I love that line. You know, so much is different, but nothing is lost. I, I love that. That's, that's, that's a wonderful brand accentuator. And I think that's, that's neat yeah. that, that, that they coined that. You know, we always tell our listeners that, that our, our guests will offer up one thing that they would say, if you can't do anything else to be a great manager and leader, to run a great successful business, here's the one thing I would I would suggest that, that you would do. So what's your one thing for our listeners, Eric, that one thing that if they do this, they're more likely to run a successful, sustainable business?
2: Define what standards look like for yourself, for managers, for the organization as a whole, define those standards, stick to them, deliver on them, and keep them accountable. And I think that is a key variable to being successful as a manager. One variable, not all, but that's one.
1: It's the one that you're going with today, and we we might talk in another six months, and you might have a new number one, but that's okay, Eric. <laughs> that's that's quite all right. You're you're a friend. You're a real professional, and he's he's a, a really talented individual. So if folks want to reach out to you and get to be able to talk to you or, or share with you a question that they, that you might be able to help them answer in their journey, how's the best way uh, for them to reach you, Eric?
2: Thank you, Ed. Best way is email Eric. Dot. K-U-E-S-T-E-R at pinehurst.com. I'm active on LinkedIn as well. So you can always DM me on LinkedIn. But absolutely, I, w- I welcome any questions, any ideas sharing. As Ed said, I'm thirsty for knowledge. I'm constantly curious to, to grow as a leader. So bring him on.
1: He's afraid of falling behind. So he's, he's, <laughs> he plays a scared game and that's why he stays ahead. <laughs> Eric, thanks for being with us. Uh, all the best. And thanks for being with our audience here today on the Ed Epley Experience.
2: It was a true pleasure, I Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's the Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y, group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills.